Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Tim Donnelly here for DraftKings. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of NASCAR, and it is now live in North Carolina. Now you can legally bet on all your favorite sports anytime, anywhere, right here in North Carolina with DraftKings. For a limited time, new customers who sign up with promo code 999 and bet $5 will receive $250 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings has the best features, including same-game parlays, player props, and more, with fast and easy payouts right at your fingertips. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now using code 999. And bet $5 to get $250 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code 999. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 8-777-185-543 or visit morethanagame.nc.gov. 21 plus, North Carolina only. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. Terms at DraftKings.com slash sportsbook slash NC. NASCAR is not a sponsor of this promotion and used under license. One of the things I love most about the ESPN On Ice podcast, Greg Wyshynski, is your cold open that you do with Emily. I love it. Is it is is that weird? Do people tell you that all the time? It it caused me to do my own. That's how we start every one of these shenanigans. That actually harkens back to the uh, the glory days of the uh, Merrick versus Wyshynski podcast. That's kind of it was one of Merrick's favorite things about the podcast was sort of uh, uh, beginning it in media res, where you just sort of fall into a uh, an ongoing conversation, um, which I, I always appreciated. So. Uh, that you know, it's 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 one of the, it's one of the, the I guess hallmarks of the uh, <laughs> of the uh, Wyshynski uh, podcast empire through the years. But uh, but I appreciate that. And, and and the thing with Emily that I do um, each week is is super fun. And um, I, I I think I've told this story before, but on Puck Soup. But um, my original um, name for the podcast was ESPN covers hockey. <laughs> um, but they. <laughs> They decided to go with it with a different a different name, um, and it's the second it's the second most disappointed I've been in my career with a, a name change because um, the original name back when I was at Yahoo we had a, a golf blog called Devil Ball yeah. that was written by Jay Busby, and uh, the original name for that was Clown's Mouth, um, <laughs> referencing the last hole on a mini golf course, and they they wouldn't go with it, and and that's still. It still irks me to this day that they, they, they didn't go with Clown's Mouth for the golf blog on Yahoo. You know what? It, I think it would have been a great name for a, uh, for a golf podcast. See, I, I was doing a golf podcast for about four years, and I called it uh, Unplayable Lies, which has <laughs> ma- many, many, exactly, which has many, many you know, connotations, uh, but it just became too much, and I'm, we're doing more of these podcasts than ever before. I think I was telling you before we even started this that um, we do podcast after each game. So I did one last night that posted, oh, I don't know, quarter to 12, quarter to midnight. And uh, so they've been well received and it hasn't hit. It hasn't hurt the uh, the popularity of these kind of mid midweek in between games editions, especially now 
with the trade deadline. So I thank you very much for doing this. And with your permission, we'll actually start the podcast. <laughs> Let's go. All right. <laughs> this is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. All right, welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Uh, he is uh, the NHL uh, senior writer. He is also one of the hosts of the ESPN ESPN on ice podcast. I said this to Emily the last time she was on uh, between you and Emily Kaplan, the hurricanes making the playoffs. It was just great to matter again to people like you. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, 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 look, it's, they've, it's not like they've uh, uh, not mattered. You know, I, I think it's, well... it's, it's, it's clear. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing about the thing about them is that, it, you know, the, and, and this is one of the reasons why I think they are a very um, interesting and intriguing uh, pick to maybe make it out of the Eastern Conference this year, is just because of the this sort of spirit that they've they've captured um, and and this enthusiasm that they've captured, not only with with all of the post game shenanigans, um, but but with the young with the young players, yeah. the mix of players, the coach, the whole thing, like. There, there's a certain amount of teams that you can look at and say there's there's an inherent toxicity to what's going on there, and 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 you know increasingly that that could be Toronto, who's who's to say? Wow. Um, but in 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 Carolina's case, um, you kind of feel the the gravitational pull of forward momentum for this franchise um, in in a, in a way that you don't necessarily for everybody else. Um, so yeah, it, it's an exciting time, and and it's it's been fun to see. Uh, it's it's been fun to be kind of on the inside of it. Uh, just before we get into the actual topics, I wanted to hit on last year, and I've I've known Rod Brindamore for a long time, and I think our relationship turned when he got mad at me. His basically going into his last year as a player, uh, because we openly wondered how much Rod has left. So we we go to the exit interviews, and uh, we got a chance to talk to Rod. Uh, and I asked him, you know, how do you approach? I mean, do you, do you, is this going to be your last year? And he goes, well, everybody's counting me out. He goes, you count me out all the time. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, but from yeah. uh, from that point on, uh, Rod and I have always had a very good relationship. When I started covering the team on a full-time basis, as I do now, uh, Rod, I leaned on Rod to help me out with, like, what do you think of these players? He was an assistant. And this is this goes back, I think, even to pre-Bill Peters uh, you know, who do you like? What 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 about this guy? What about this guy? And uh, Rod Rod and I have a very good relationship. So he said to me after the sweep over the Islanders, and everybody was so you know obviously thrilled. Uh, and he, we were talking about it. He go and he actually said, "Man, you're a part of this." And I'm like, "What did I do?" <laughs> but Rod has a way of doing that. He has a way of making everybody feel like they matters. And I wrote a piece last year toward the end of the season that it occurred to me that he had managed to create like 20 different Rod Brindamores in that locker room where everybody cared so much about what was going on uh, that it made last year's team actually better than it maybe was. Yeah, and, and I think that, again, like for all the criticism that he took when he took over the team – because of of sort of his non-traditional background and and for you know some of the non-traditional things that he was attempting with the Canes, I mean 
that tracks directly back to Tom Dundon, doesn't it? I mean, like, like Brendan Moore was Dundon's guy. And, and uh, you know, when he was hired, there was a certain amount of skepticism about mm-hmm. a guy who maybe did, did not necessarily have the commiserate head coaching experience uh, that you'd expect taking over a team. And Dundon was the first guy to say, look, you know, this is, this is not about, you know, whether or not he spent time coaching in Regina, Saskatchewan, you know, <laughs> or, 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 or cutting his teeth, you know, uh, uh, as the head coach of, a, of an ECHL team. I mean, it's about what it's about what I think he can get out of these players, and and you know what he's able to do as a motivator versus hiring someone who might be a better tactician. And you know, at the time, that that rang is sort of a little bit weird because it's the opposite of what you normally see in this league, which is get the smartest, most experienced coach. Mm-hmm and elevate your team from being a, uh, a, a contender bubbling up under the surface to a championship team. But he was the rightest right that you could possibly be insofar as matching a coach with, with a roster. And, and it's, it's, it's fantastic to see the kind of uh, influence and, and, uh, and uh, change that, uh, that Brenda Moore has affected behind the bench. Yeah, and I also think he is a, uh, uh, as underrated a tactician as you could be, I think, he falls into that category as well, uh, talking to him after games and, and getting reasons why he does things. This is not like p- normal press conference stuff, just walking back to the locker room with him. Uh, he's he's a pretty deep thinker when it comes to the strategy of a game. All right, I want to get to the outdoor game uh, because Saturday for me was filled with soccer coaching clinic for my son's team and all sorts of stuff. And I'm driving in, and I'm listening to the NHL network, and I knew it was a possibility, and I knew the NHL was likely going to announce something at the outdoor game, uh, but I was just busy and crazy. And I heard them talking about it, um, like as though it was going to happen. I knew our company had not confirmed anything, so I made my phone calls and my texts, and I got confirmation. I went, here it is, confirmed. I didn't realize you were the first person to have it. So I want to properly credit Greg Wyshynski for getting the outdoor game right because I have no interest at all in breaking news. I knew when Justin Williams was coming back long before it was announced he was coming back, uh, but I have no interest in breaking the news. So uh, I, you know, I'll I'll take my my role as a as air quotes insider. But you had the news, so I want you to get oh. credit for it. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, blind squirrel finds the nut. Yada yada yada. <laughs> Field things. Um, no, it, it, it was um, it was I was on site for the uh, the game at Air Force and, and, and ended up getting that from a couple people there uh, that the announcement was going to happen uh, that day. Obviously, it was something we all knew was coming. I mean, the minute that the NHL starts dropping traffic cones in the middle of a football <laughs> stadium is kind of the moment when you know that an outdoor game yeah. is headed there. So, not a huge surprise that it actually came to fruition, um, but but a great thing. I mean. I, you know, I give the NHL credit for, for all of the grief that we've given them through the years for the, having the same several uh, Northeastern teams cycling through these outdoor games, the Penguins, the Flyers, right. I mean, also, I guess, the Blackhawks, not Northeast and Midwest, Blackhawks, uh, you know, so on and so forth. <clears throat> they have gotten better with it. They've, they, you know, they went to the Cotton Bowl right. and gave us Dallas and the Predators. They're going to Raleigh. Um, they're going to put a game in, in Florida at some point between the Lightning and the Panthers. Um, they're definitely going to Vegas at some point. It won't be necessarily an outdoor game, I think, but it'll be a stadium game in the Raiders' new joint right. um, of, some, of some way, shape, or form. 
so like I give him credit for for realizing that you know if that, that there are other markets to test that there are other places that deserve outdoor games and while the TV ratings may not necessarily be there and there weren't a whole hell of a lot of people that watched the, the game at the Cotton Bowl um, you're going to end up making a lot of money and, yeah. and a lot of money from local fans that are going to buy the new jerseys and they're going to buy all the swag and they're going to party all day and and they're going to treat it like the um, the celebration of hockey that it's become when you when you go to these things, and I, and I can't stress that enough. Like the, the outdoor games may not necessarily all be the most telegenic. They might not be the most successful. They might not be the most hyped. I mean, most people didn't even know there was an outdoor game between Colorado and LA this weekend. But um, but but the but the fact is is that when you're on site for these things, it really does feel like a special moment for the local uh, the local market. And if you can find a, a team that'll travel to the game and, and you get a little you know, collegiate sort of vibe yeah. with warring factions of fans. It's even better. I, and honestly, it's it's funny. The people here, not all the people, but some of the people here, are fearful that if the opponent is the Pittsburgh Penguins, that Carter-Finley Stadium, which for that game, we spoke with the NHL yesterday, for that game will probably seat 55,000. They are afraid that 53,000 will be Penguins fans. Uh, I, <laughs> I promise that will not be the case. But there will be, as there have been at every single Penguins game that they have played at PNC Arena, there have been, oh, I don't know, seven, 8,000 Penguins fans in the building. Uh, even the playoff series in 2009, there were tons of pl- Penguins fans, but it wasn't a majority. Uh, but they're, I mean, they all live here. They all moved here, you know, a decade ago. Uh, so they live here. They're, they're entitled to root for their, fa- their favorite team. Uh, but I hope there are a lot of Penguins fans at Carter-Finley Stadium if that's the matchup because it'll just make the environment better. It's not going to prevent Carolina from winning the game. No, and, and it makes it makes it more fun. And, I, and you know, that, that, that goes for any game. I, I always hated the, the sort of restricted uh, ticket purchasing policies the teams had to try to uh, keep visiting fans out of the building and stuff like that. It's like that Ted Leonsis and the Capitals sort of pioneered a <laughs> a few decades ago to keep Penguins fans out of their state, their arena, which I thought was just asinine. Like it, it, the, the environment should be fun. It should be warring factions. It should feel a little dangerous. That's the way it should feel. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the interesting thing about the Penguins is that they are sort of the de facto let's help a team fill their building kind of team. <laughs> and, and it's not to say that, it's not to say that the Hurricanes would need help in, in filling that football stadium. I think that they could probably do it on their own in the yeah. market. But just in case, I mean, to have the Penguins travel as well as they do and to have fans all over the, the, the region, the Mid-Atlantic region like they do, um, certainly helps. And, and I think that that's why there's sort of an anticipation that if Columbus ever got a game, uh, while it would make the most sense to have Detroit as the opponent and you kind of play up the Michigan-Ohio State thing, right. the game would be at Ohio State – the thought is is that it should probably be the Penguins only because you know that they're going to bring a ton of fans <laughs> only a few hours down the road to Columbus for that game. So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, and, and it's definitely something that the NHL is, is cognizant of. And that's why I, I find it intriguing that we don't have an opponent yet for the Minnesota Wild in, um, right. in their outdoor game, their, their Winter Classic game. The conventional wisdom has been that it's going to be the St. Louis Blues to kind of play up that – divisional rivalry thing but i talked to people inside the league and 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 they they have paid a lot of mind to the idea that what if we put the winnipeg jets in the game and and had everybody come down from manitoba and really made it um a a spirited affair in the stands 
Um, I I don't know if that's necessarily why they're waiting, but I I found it intriguing that they at least are cognizant of of that dynamic. I think it would be fun not to mention, I think Winnipeg could have the best uh, winter classic sweaters maybe in the entire (laughs) – I love love the Winnipeg Jets uniforms. I love the old school uniforms with the hockey stick J, all of that. I hope we we do see that in the winter classic. You know what the – this is something you guys can talk about on your podcast with Emily. You know what Hurricanes fans are most fearful of? It's even more so than Penguin fan overrun. It's that everybody in the NHL and nationally will just refer to this area as Carolina. I kid you not. There's so, because so many of the national, like national uh, ad buys, refer to us as Raleigh Durham when that's an airport, and Raleigh and Durham are two different cities. Uh, they're afraid we're just going to be referred to as Carolina. I mean, it's entirely possible. <laughs> I mean, that's that's also one of the weird things about, um, you know, like the Florida Panthers is the sense that they get called Florida and then they get called Miami, but the game, <laughs> the, the arena's in the sunrise. Right. Um, so that's always a weird dynamic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's obvious going to be an issue. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I was talking to somebody with the league um, who, who, you know, helped uh, – share this news with me when uh, when it came down and uh, trying to figure out what the dynamics going to be in so far as the accoutrement around the rink like they do a really good job branding these things right. for the locality that they're in you know you go to the air force there's a plane you go to the dodger stadium there's palm trees and a hollywood sign like they do a really good job at that and i was kind of shooting the breeze with them and being like what are they going to do for for raleigh you know like uh <laughs> You know, in theory, back in the day when they were actually considering putting this game at the racetrack, um, that made a lot more sense. I mean, it, it's it's its own sort of aesthetic, right? Uh, but uh, but it'd be interesting to see exactly what direction they go in as far as like what what is Raleigh to the National Hockey League set designers. Um, you know, it, I, I'm not quite sure what the answer is there. Maybe you can answer for me. What do you what would you like to see behind the rink? At the, at the stadium. Well, if, if I had to come up with things that we are definitely known for now, I mean, the, the triangle is all about college basketball. Uh, we had one of our storm surges last year. One of my favorites was Trevor Van Reems, like, slam dunking a basketball right. uh, during yeah. the NCAA tournament. Uh, so there's that. There, I mean, there's a big craft beer scene here. But this is really a tailgate region, and one of the things that the Hurricanes are known for is the game day environment. Now, every place has their thing. Like when Nashville made it to the cup finals a couple of years ago, that I don't even know what it's called, but the plaza out in front of their arena, Bridgestone Arena, uh, where the, somebody beats on a car. I mean, that's, that was a really cool setting. But the tailgating environment here is absolutely bonkers. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they honestly, there's no the, a 7 o'clock game. The tailgates will start here at 10 o'clock in the morning. There is no. So if I'm, if I'm if I'm if I'm picking up what you're putting down, you're saying that the around the rink where they would usually have things to identify the locality where the game is, it should be a collection of barbecue smokers and RVs uh, that we're getting at. Yes, and and little uh, and little <laughs> basketball courts, uh, so people can play pickup ball. Uh, the youth hockey is getting very big here. I actually think. It would be really cool to have club hockey games. North Carolina State, North Carolina, East Carolina all have very good club hockey programs. Uh, so it would be, it'd be cool to incorporate them. But basically we're a, we're a you know, craft beer, basketball, 
tailgating community uh, in terms of things other than hockey here. It would. It's a very cool. Uh, it's very cool vibe. I think everybody will enjoy it. It's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be a blast. So I'm looking forward to however the NHL wants to do it. Uh, but somehow, uh, you know, it, especially the time of the year in February, mm-hmm. as basketball is really heating up because we only have about yeah. uh, what like five six weeks to go uh, in the entire college basketball season. This would be cool. I want to talk about Pittsburgh real quick. We haven't even talked about the Hurricanes as a team, really. Um, but I'm curious, is Mike Sullivan already the coach of the year? I mean, who's the competition for that right now? That's a great question. And, and I think that, as you know, the Jack Adams is a pretty predictable award. and so it's, it's voted on by the broadcasters, so they're a lot less analytic, uh, right. analytically inclined than the writers are. They kind of just go for the big narrative stuff. And, yeah, with the Penguins on top of the of the uh, Metro right now, and having shepherded him through the Sidney Crosby injury and a myriad of other injuries through the season, uh, I, I think you could say that that Sullivan is the the front runner for the award. Um, you know, you look around the rest of the league, and, and I don't know if there's necessarily any of the guys that came in mid season through uh, various and sundry coaching changes that would necessarily. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's a number of reasons why it happened. Uh, that would necessarily, uh, um, you know, t- t- topple uh, Sullivan from the top of the hill as far as the Jack Adams goes. I think that Rick Bonus has done a really good job in Dallas taking over in an incredibly tough situation. Yeah. Um, I-, I think the one guy that, that you look at, if, if they do qualify for the playoffs, and, you know, there's a little bit of question there now because of the injuries that they're suffering, is uh, Travis Green with the Canucks. Um, a team that uh, I mean, and nobody outside of me thought they was going to make the playoffs, um, and uh, and could very well do that if uh, they can survive losing uh, Brock Besser for right. the rest of the, of the regular season. So I would say Sullivan, and and also Sullivan has a certain amount of cachet. I did think at one point this season that Barubi might be in the mix just because they didn't give it to him last season. Um, but uh, but I, I think the Blues have sort of leveled off a little bit this year. So it's an interesting race, but I think that you got Sullivan. And then um, you always have to be cognizant of, of uh, the Tortorella factor if the right. Blue Jackets can survive this, uh, this uh, swoon that they're in with, <laughs> with Seth Jones. The, the Blue Jackets haven't won a game since Seth Jones left the lineup yeah. with injury, and that's a, a real point of concern for them. Um, but if they can circle back and get in, I think Tortorella might also uh, be somebody who gets a lot of consideration. I was adding it up, and the Penguins' top five scorers, currently top five scorers, have missed the equivalent of more than an entire season of games. They won't have Jake Gensel for the rest of the year. Uh, Brian Dumoulin, who might be their second other than Chris Letang, their best defense, uh, defenseman, and maybe their best pure defenseman, he's missed 35 games. It's just absolutely crazy. And Jim Rutherford with the Hall of Fame flex of uh, adding <laughs> a, a really good player in Jason Zucker. So, uh, look, I'm, I, I've known Jim a long time. Uh, I I could not have been more thrilled to see him finally get recognized and get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I've communicated with him uh, before and since. Uh, he's a wonderful guy. Uh, fired me from his. He waved me, threatened to wave me from a charity golf team once. <laughs> he did. Yeah, I mean, what what he's been able to accomplish there is, has been. I mean, a, a he did a hell of a job in being aggressive and building those consecutive cups teams. Um, doesn't get enough credit for. For all the majority, like I mean, there's so many moves that he made uh, to build those teams. Whether it was the Neil for Hornquist trade, 
um, and so on and so forth. I mean, it, it, it just just bold, really smart moves um, that didn't necessarily mortgage the future because you still had younger players come up through the Penguin system yep. and contribute to that team. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been great. And, and if nothing else, and, and I think this was also his M.O. Um, with the Hurricanes for a long time, and I think the reason why there was so much recycling that went on on that roster with guys that would leave and come back so many times, I'm thinking, I think Chad LaRose might have been on the team seven different times, <laughs> um, is, is because he has, he's a really good judge of character in the sense of what, what personalities yeah. and uh, what psychological makeup fits with this team and also knowing when to cut ties with guys and, and, and trading Phil Kessel wasn't an, an, an easy prospect for a guy that can produce that kind of level of offense in the regular season and in the postseason. But, you know, if you don't think that he's necessarily working as hard as he used to, and you, and you see the schisms between himself and, and the coach, uh, you know, offense be damned, you, you ship the guy out and, and it takes a pretty bold GM to recognize that and also pull the trigger on a really popular player. So, um, full marks to Rutherford. I mean, he, he deserves every accolade that he gets for what he's accomplished. Yeah, he also recognizes when he's made a mistake and he, he, he works to rectify it. Uh, I would say go back and look. I'm sure that nobody has ever acquired a player more times than Jim Rutherford has acquired Matt Cullen. I don't know what the number is. It's got to be – it has to be five. It has to be five times that Jim Rutherford has acquired in some way, shape, or form – uh, Matt Cohen. I got three things I want to hit hit you with, Greg Wyshynski, before uh, I let you go. I promise we wouldn't be we wouldn't go too long here, and I'm dangerously close to doing that already. Um, the format for the playoffs. I didn't like it when it first came in, but it hasn't really manifested itself in a problem yet. But right now, there are the six the the six best teams in the Metropolitan Division are better than Toronto, and Toronto was in third place in the Atlantic. We are staring at a situation where the six best teams in the Metro, uh, only five of them go, uh, even though they'll all be among the top eight in the East. Um, is that okay? I mean, even though this might be the only time it happens, is that enough? For No, it sucks. It, 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 it's the play- Look, the playoff format wasn't broken. It, it just wasn't broken. It was working fine. <laughs> the, one, the one through eight format – in these conferences was working fine. And, and uh, you know, they changed it to attempt some sort of a uh, solid uh, bracket that they could, they could promote where, you know, the teams aren't reseeded. That's one problem. And they changed it to try to create this all sense of parity where you have these wild card teams that otherwise may not necessarily be in the mix. And, and, uh, and you're leaving really good teams out of the playoffs every season. It, 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 there was nothing wrong with the previous format. They, mm-hmm. I, I still don't quite know the logic in changing it. But I do know that, you know, there is an appetite. Uh, and this is something I'm going to write eventually as we get closer to the playoffs. But there is an appetite from the players to reexamine this playoff format and, and potentially even dramatically change it. I mean, I, I talked to a number of guys and, and talked to the NHLPA in the past as well about the idea of potentially going to a one through 16 format for the entire league. That's old school, which would be, yeah, well, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really old school and, and and it it would, uh, it would shift the dynamics so much and and create some really weird matchups, but also intriguing matchups. But I don't think there's a lot of um, uh, excitement from the league uh, for that kind of format because they're so uh, slavish to the rivalry matchup. Mm -hmm and the regional matchups and the geographic matchups that I don't think it'll ever get there. I do think that one um, 
One thing I'd love to see them steal, though, and and it kind of speaks to those types of things that the NHL likes, is the NBA's um, proposal of reseeding the top four teams um, in, in that are left in the playoffs. So you could end up with two teams from the same conference right. uh, battling for the cup. And and I know there's a ton of younger listeners to the podcast and, and also in the Carolina fan base that might not realize this, but, you know, one of the Islanders, Stanley Cups, back in the early 1980s, they defeated the Philadelphia Flyers. The first one. Right. So, that, yeah. so the format back then was that you could play a team literally from the next state over in, in your conference for the Cup. And, uh, you know, think, of, think about the money that Toronto-Montreal for the Cup could draw. Think about the money that, <laughs> uh, you know, you know two, two teams from California playing, like King Sharks for the Cup. I mean, my God. So, like um, – <laughs> You know, the, the idea that they could maybe explore that would be really intriguing. And, and at the very least, you kind of get the happy medium between, um, you know, rivalries being established and also respecting the regular season and, uh, and treating the teams that earn top seeds with a bit more reverence than they do under the current format. Yeah, I, I grew up watching hockey in the mid-'70s. I was an Islander fan there. And, yeah, I'll never forget Bobby Nystrom at 7-11 of overtime beating the Flyers in, uh, to, to win the Stanley Cup. And yeah, the current format does not allow for the possibility of – I mean, could you imagine what a Washington-Pittsburgh Stanley Cup finals might look like? I mean, mm-hmm. we, could have, uh, we could have, you know, muskets or all, all sorts of craziness. Uh, going on. What did you make of the NBA All-Star Game, and is there something the NHL All-Star Game could do? I'm going to have to punt on this one because I didn't watch it because oh. I was covering that outdoor game in, uh, in, at Air Force. So that, that whole weekend was sort of a, a wash for me. Uh, but, I mean, in, in years past, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, what the NHL could steal, but I do know that in years past uh, the three-point competition has – superseded the dunk competition for me um, just because the dunk competition got repetitive, I felt, uh, and, and too gimmicky. And the three-pointer is, is just like, I mean, well, actually, you know, it's funny. Like, back in the day, the three-point competition was really exciting, but now the league is so perimeter. <laughs> yeah. That it, it, might, it may not even be the same, the same sort of luster that it used to have when you see, like, random guys go on these hot streaks. Now it's the entire game is played above the arc. So, I mean, it, it, may, not, it may not even have the same vibe that it used to. Uh, I'll, I'll throw this in to the conversation about the All-Star game. I thought the format change, which was good in the NBA All-Star game, was vastly overplayed as being the reason why the fourth quarter of the All-Star game was so spectacular. It was arguably the best All-Star game I've ever watched. And it's really right. because the players on the court, and they were all the best players in the game, they all absolutely cared about winning. There were arguing calls. They were, I mean, they were playing defense. What was missing from, and I love three-on-three hockey. I can watch three-on-three hockey forever. I'd get rid of the shootout forever and just play, te- play until somebody wins at three-on-three. We're never going past ten minutes. Uh, the hockey's too good. There are too many good scoring chances. Um, that if the All-Stars played with that level, not physicality, but with that level of pace and speed, it would be it would be as good as any all-star game could ever be. Three-on-three hockey yeah. is just absolutely breathtaking. Yep, sure is. 
All right, final thing for Greg Wyshynski, and I appreciate the time. Um, I re- read a piece this week about the Olympics uh, and the IIHF and the IOC. They definitely want the NHL players in the in the Olympics. They're willing to make some uh, some acquiescence to uh, the NHL needs in terms of insurance and blah blah blah. And it just seems to me like with that hurdle kind of in the background that the NHL simply doesn't want to shut the game down, so they're going to make it very difficult. And I think they're making it a bargaining chip with the collective bargaining agreement. Um, That's the best hockey. I don't know if it's the best hockey in the world, but it's a close second to the best hockey in the world. Why is the NHL so adamantly opposed to this? Well, there's a number of reasons, but I mean, you know, p- part of it used to be that uh, the IOC didn't give them enough for the effort, and I completely agree with that. Right. You know, the idea that they couldn't market their product uh, at the Olympics, the fact that they couldn't sell Olympic-branded merchandise and get a cut of it, the fact that they couldn't even, like, if you are telling the story of Sidney Crosby, they don't have rights to the Golden Goal in I know. Vancouver. Like, it's, it's insane um, that these are their players, they're loaning them um, for no Revenue sharing, no nothing. It's just like, here, borrow our, our assets for three weeks. It's, it's always been criminal. And, and the fact that the IOC has come crawling back to the bargaining table uh, now because the last Olympic tournament was trash is, uh, is a great thing for the NHL. But the real issue right now is that they are using the Olympics as a bargaining ship in CBA negotiations. This is the, the line I draw in the sand. I think that the NHL's fight against the IOC is virtuous, and, and uh, there should be a reason to shut down the season beyond the, you know, greatness of the hockey and the virtue of the game and all that stuff. I mean, you got to give them something. And, right. and um, once that happens and now it's still an issue, then it becomes, all right, well, this is just another in a line of, of pressure points you're trying to squeeze the players on, and, uh, and it's nonsense. And the real nonsense of this one, to, to put a point on it, is, and I completely agree with the players on this. I mean, think about this for a second. If you are under contract, okay, and there is something that happens during, the, during that contract that you want settled. And then your boss says, well, actually, no, we're going we're gonna to settle that in the next contract. <laughs> um, that would be insane, right? right. Because you, you, you cover the things that happen that affect you that fall under the parameters of your current contract should be handled under the terms of that contract. It's obvious. Well, the thing about the Olympics is that they happen – months before the current collective bargaining agreement expires. So the players are like, all right, well, let's figure this out now. And, 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 and then we'll go. And the owners are like, well, actually, let's, let's figure it out vis-a-vis settling on a new collective bargaining agreement. And the players are like, that's insane. That's not how calendars work. And so that's where I completely side with the players. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but the Olympics fall under the current agreement. Figure it out under the current agreement and, and then go from there. Don't allow something that occurs before you even have to sign off on a new collective bargaining agreement to, to influence that agreement. It's, it's insane. It's, it's just it, you're playing around with time. Um, so, you know, I, I think the NHL has a lot of virtue in, in its fight against the IOC, but I, I, I jump off the subway when it comes to using this as a pressure point for the players. See, this is how, how how good a dude you are. Is that I was referencing your piece, apparently, uh, <laughs> right? You wrote about this, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yes. I, okay, I, that's I where I read it. about this piece. 
I've written about this piece many, many times. <laughs> this uh, this uh, this issue many, many times. Um, and uh, and uh, and like that's and it's good to do that as a writer because then you can kind of get a, a pretty good BS detector going on, you know. I'm uh, I'm em- I'm embarrassed that I failed to recognize that it was. It's like I, I I've screwed you uh, multiple times in the la- <laughs> in the last week. I totally apologize. <laughs> no worries. All right, uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Uh, ESPN on Ice is the podcast. Uh, it's the reason we do a cold open. You guys do a great job. You and Emily do an amazing job. Um, I, I hope we see you guys down here for playoff games. Uh, several rounds of playoff games this year and beyond. Uh, Thanks again for the time. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. You got it. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.